hey, hey, welcome to your weekly corner spady. It is me, Kieran. I'm joined by Nick. Hello. Rob. Warm greetings. And we have special guest with us, uh, Silard Pap of Partisan. Say hello, Silard. Hi, hi, hi. Thank you for inviting me. Naturally enough, since we had Silard here, we are going to talk about the results of the French election, since this is Monday, <laughs> in which this episode is coming out. And the Slovenian election. Yeah, we'll also talk about the Slovenian election, sure. Well, I know about, a lot about those, uh, especially the Slovenian ones. I mean, our our prime minister have bought half of Slovenia already. So. Yes, yeah. We uh, we did a whole episode on how uh, uh, Jancha is effectively like Orban's protege uh, uh, of a sort. Um, but also... I'm so I'm yeah. We found we yeah. Okay, no. I'm I'm not going to talk about the French election. I'm not going to talk about the French election. It's been too much for the last Talking about the future of Europe as we've been saying on this show for years. Yeah. Look towards Hungary. Mm. And uh yeah, Hungary had an election. Serbia had an election the same day too, which kind of makes sense because, you know, Vucic and Orban definitely had their like campaigning side by side with one another but we're talking about the big man himself we're talking about victor orban we're talking about fides we're talking about where we sit what this means for europe you know and all this all that all that all that fine stuff that we've uh, i I think i think the only thing i'm going to mention about the serbian election until we do an episode about that is i'm just going to link in the description the video of uh vucic and orban campaigning on the train while Vucic is like waving to nobody. Yeah, and Orban has no idea what's going on. It's <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, it's really great. Uh, all right. So, I guess I I just going to we're going to talk to Celard about like what's happening uh, um in Hungary because well the election happened and I guess slightly surprising results from what people were saying a couple of months uh, uh previous which is uh, Fidesz, Viktor Orban's party, got like a majority. Uh, um, won something like 53% of the popular vote, something along those lines. Yeah. Um, whereas like polling a couple of months or even weeks prior to that, we're saying that it was going to be close between Fidesz and this uh, united for Hungary, this united opposition. Um, and that didn't work out. So um, I think we're just going to go through the effectively three parties that are in parliament now uh, and, and talk about what they've been doing. So I think we'll start with the incumbent first. And Fidesz, they've been in charge since how long has it been now? 12 years, since 12 years. 2010. Yeah. Are you coming on Merkel years? Wow. Yeah. Congrats. <laughs> yeah, there are people, I mean, there are one, There, I have colleagues who actually have uh, lived under Fidesz for at least half of their lives. So. A hundred percent, yeah. Um, yeah, fair enough. But like, what has Fidesz been doing since the last election, since 2018? I guess that's like my first question. Yeah, so basically we had, um, we had the elections four years ago in April as well. And then like shit got really crazy really fast by the end of the year by the end of 2018 there were like huge protests uh it was a really really cold winter and still there were like huge protests for months because of a law that became infamous in hungary but also i think internationally as the slave law yeah 
Uh, and so basically, this was um, an, a, a low regulating uh, overtime work. And it was kind of a, a very basic flexibilization, kind of like this pro-capital move that made uh, possible for employers to to actually kind of pay late, pay overtime fees later and kind of make it more flexible. So it's basically, it served kind of like German uh, automobile industry in Hungary. Uh, it wasn't a secret. The, uh, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Peter Siarto, uh, during a trip to Germany actually kind of said it, that they are like very happy about this law. We did uh, this for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically it was... Uh, it. So in Hungary, we have this, we had this problem for some time, this kind of um, labor shortage problem. And so, uh, and also kind of the automobile industry has this kind of very fluctuating uh, work orders. So it basically, sometimes there are, uh, they have to work a lot, but sometimes they, they just don't have any work to do. Mm. So this this kind of overtime law or, or slave law actually made it much more easier for employers to, to profit from, or, or kind of like uh, profit from labor. <laughs> and um, so this was the kind of the first thing they did after, the first huge thing they did after their, their re-election in 2018. There were huge protests. Uh, there were kind of like road blockades uh, made, uh, made by uh, trade unions and also kind of the, um, this kind of parliamentary obstruction. So opposition parties actually occupied the, kind of the speakers pulpit there and all this kind of stuff. Hmm. Uh, and then they actually managed to kind of hijack the whole issue. I mean, this was like a, you know, a, a kind of a labor issue, a left-wing issue, uh, all this kind of stuff. And then the opposition parties managed to hijack it into this kind of like uh, liberal stuff of about public media and how kind of biased public media is. Uh, and then by by January February they they started occupying the public media building. It's, it was it was pretty um, surreal in a sense. And then the whole thing blew over. 2019 was pretty pretty quiet in this respect. And then COVID came, and the COVID was another issue where. Um, I, I, I'm not really a, a, an expert on on, on uh, pandemic management, but I think, and most of Hungarians agree with me that uh, Fidesz did a quite average job in this respect. So it wasn't worse than I don't know any other European country. It wasn't better than that. Uh, if you look at death numbers, of course it's higher uh, than let's say in Western Europe, but you have to take into account that we have a, a I mean, the, the health status of Hungarians is much uh, worse in this respect. It has been, uh, and, and also kind of the health system is also uh, uh, in a pretty bad shape. But on average, Fidesz used kind of this usual populist tactic of, um, you know, doing what people want. So when people wanted uh, closure, or they wanted kind of restrictions, then they gave them restrictions. When they wanted uh, 
to open up, then they opened up. So there was uh, pretty standard uh, measures there. Uh, even the restrictions weren't that kind of strict. We had half a year in 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 the end of 2020, beginning of 2021. We had half a year of more strict uh, restrictions, but nothing pretty spectacular. Mm. But at the same time, they used this whole issue to also attack um, attack opposition-led uh, municipalities, because in 2019, we had a, a local elections, and local elections were won by Fidesz, but actually uh, the opposition managed to conquer uh, many, especially uh, larger, uh, larger towns, cities. Mm-hmm. And so basically we had a, a breakthrough in this respect. That was kind of the best year for, for the opposition, partly also because they had this kind of mobilization during the protests against the, uh, against the slave law. Uh, so that was a good year for the opposition, the last one and the first one <laughs> in a long time. <laughs> sure. uh, and and so basically during uh, during the pandemic, uh, Fidesz actually cut every most of their uh, incomes, their independent incomes that doesn't come via the government. This is kind of like their their ability to to um, uh, issue taxes and all this kind of stuff. Hmm. Uh, they even like really, really, really small stuff with like parking fees. Parking fees usually are levied by the municipalities. And then Fidesz said that, okay, so the best best solution to fight the pandemic is to make parking free. And so they made parking free for almost two years. And that was kind of a, a huge um a loss for uh, opposition municipalities, and then after after the whole COVID issue, again this kind of campaign was closed, so everybody started campaigning, and and for the first time in in twelve years, it wasn't clear what will be the main campaign topic for Fidesz. So they were like experimenting with a lot of stuff. They were experimenting even before the pandemic, they were starting to experiment with mm, this anti um, LGBT, or I, I don't like this expression, but mostly kind of against sexual minorities. Uh, so they were experimenting with that. They were also experimenting with some anti Roma stuff. But then the pandemic came and it was washed over. Uh, so at the beginning of kind of this campaign season, it wasn't really clear what will be the main main messaging. They were bringing back this kind of um, anti-sexual minority stuff, especially, uh, of course, with this kind of uh, right-wing identity politics kind of stuff, Western you know, against Western uh, uh, corrupting influences, uh, which, by the way, in certain senses, it had some basis. Uh, it's a it's a different topic, but in certain senses, they were resonating with some some stuff that could also be taken as I mean, it could constitute part of or focus of left wing critique as well. Uh, anyway, uh, and then there were other issues as well. They started uh, a huge kind of welfare campaign uh, in terms of in, in, in their general mode of how they imagine this kind of welfare measures. So basically targeted to 
mostly middle income or or uh, upper uh, middle income people also uh, targeting people who have kids so families with at least two or three kids so these are their general um, but there were a lot of a lot of these things uh, especially tax credits and and rebates and all this kind of stuff and then also by the by the autumn the the with the gas prices rising, this was pre-Russian pre, uh, invasion stuff. This was just like a general post-COVID uh, uh, bounce and all these uh, gas price rises. So they introduced the cap on, on uh, fuel. Mm. And at a certain point, they introduced also a cap on, uh, on six basic uh, food items. So chicken meat, flour, sugar, so some uh, sunflower, sunflower oil, so some kind of elementary food items. They also introduced the price cap on that. Mm. And so this is how we kind of got into the proper campaign mode with these welfare, welfare measures about which the opposition had basically nothing to say. Yeah. Uh, apart from some laughter that like, you know, it's, it's, it, I don't know it's how much this is culturally specific, but the, the back part of a chicken is considered kind of the, the, the cheapest part of a chicken. Sure. Uh, but it's important for broth, for example, but anyway, this is a, my gastronomic, uh, uh, stuff but anyway so the the back part of a chicken is also kind of a cultural marker poor people buy that because it's the cheapest part of uh, uh the chicken and then the opposition kind of started making fun of like okay so this is where we are we have to introduce a price cap on 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 the back part of the chicken and it's kind of like it's kind of uh i don't Good know chef. how do you call it chef bashing or this kind of like Right. Okay. Like a, a a classist kind of argument. Yeah, yeah. 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 Definitely. And this is how we got into the campaign, and then the whole Ukraine issue. I mean, even even without the whole Ukraine issue, I think uh, a, a Fidesz majority was assured because of these bread and butter measures. Mm. Um, but with the with the war, the the kind of the quick political instincts of Fidesz just kicked in and they started framing this whole issue while the opposition was framing this in this kind of like East versus West, democracy versus Russian autocracy kind of, yeah. and also with, with, with pretty much, uh, I mean, with uh, this kind of anti-Russian chauvinist kind of rhetoric and also, and then Fidesz just started to frame this whole issue in terms of like security. We are protecting your security, and also we are protecting your uh, low utilities prices because back back this was one of the founding measures of of Orbán's regime back uh, in 2012-13. They introduced um, certain caps on utility prices. And they are still in effect 10 years later. And so the cheap Russian gas kind of argument was also like 
the opposition would take away your cheap utilities. Uh, and so basically they framed in this, we will protect you from war, we will guarantee peace, and also we will protect your uh, livelihood in terms of, of cheap utility prices. And so that was that was just like, a, you know, the cherry on the top of the cake kind of thing that kind of pushed them over again of over the two-thirds qualified majority kind of threshold. Sure. I mean, it's it, it is interesting. The the uh, I think we'll get into it when we talk with the opposition, but there's like trying to make the election about uh, um, Ukraine Russia conflict when it seems to be that's like an electoral strategy that isn't working because like Macron also tried to do that in France, mm-hmm. and he was getting destroyed by people who wanted to talk about the cost of living, basically. Well, Macron did the problem of that that he didn't he like you could focus on the the war in that sense and make it like a material thing and macron can't view the world in that where like orban weirdly can at least from my like perspective of looking into this of that then the thing that was very odd when then like immediately when the war started victor orban goes to the border and just starts like accepting refugees in so like one hand's doing like the humanitarian thing of like we're gonna be you know because there are a lot of ethnic hungarians in ukraine who immediately came over once russia invaded and then also like the very next day like holds a press conference saying that he's not gonna like even bother with the idea then of like you know sanctions on russia this and that and that because of exactly what uh what you were saying in the regard of that then hungary hungary like like obviously exists within this like like interesting kind of like i don't know like post like u.s led hegemony like they're kind of going in their own direction in a sense that then like like as we've talked before on the show how countries like lithuania want to do their own like path with china that hungary has definitely been in that sense of like orban's probably been one of the closest leaders to putin of like an elected leader in Mm -hmm. europe of a member of the european union um, when he won, just started calling out Zelensky, which is one of the like most psychotic things, which really yeah. just sounded like a dog whistle for Jews at the end of the day. <laughs> but um, and then also too, like really has been uh, uh, similarly to um, you know um, countries like Greece is another real really weird one where they won't send weapons and stuff like that. Uh, uh, Orban's doing weirdly what like like I, I obviously. It's one part of the the, the 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 piece of the puzzle, but uh, uh, with 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 an election campaign. But it's it's been a very odd like alternative, also too, of like what other like nations within Europe or like the West or this like idea, like this like kind of like international nationalist movement have been able to look towards and be like, see, yeah, we don't have to be like super dogmatic against Russia. We can mm-hmm. be principled. We can be like. I get. I don't want to say that like Orban's material in his like like idea of like you know, ba- but like yeah, bread and butter politics. Like 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 you were saying, there is this like very odd, weird like kind of alternative form of politics that he is like the only one who seems to be doing like in a in an oddly, um, I don't want to say captivating because it's not good, but it clearly wins him votes every time, and he's like like, mm, yeah. I mean, this. This entire geopolitical orientation is, is uh, I mean, it can be explained pretty easily in terms of um, 
you know in in economic terms yeah. if you look at if you look at the the position of uh, hungarian uh, economy uh, since the kind of the fall of state socialism it has been integrated into this kind of lower middle kind of uh, hierarchy in the production chains it was somehow uh, it was industrialized in a sense, or a lot of capital came in. At the same time, this kind of neoliberal uh, issues or neoliberal restructuring of the economy was taking place in the West. So everybody was taking production capacities to the peripheries where everything was cheaper. Labor was cheaper and, 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 and because of the kind of, it wasn't profitable anymore to produce stuff in, in the West or kind of in the core countries. And at the same time, so this was happening, and and that kind of created a, a, a kind of a very very strong reliance on on Western e- economies. But after two, after the two thousand and eight crisis, uh, a lot of things changed, and and I think one of the s- strengths of Orban is to kind of. Uh, be a pragmatic to pragmatically understand how things are going, what is changing, and his primary goal or his primary goal is is, is staying in power basically. And somehow st- for for him to stay in power, he needs uh, room for maneuvering, and he is really really good at actually uh, uh, broadening his room of maneuvering or, or or how should I put it? So. Act- creating space for himself to be able to make decisions independently or autonomously without actually being uh, um, forced by, by I don't know, economic considerations or this stuff. And after the 2008, 2009, there was this opening to actually, uh, to actually uh, reduce this like exclusive reliance on, on, on Western capital and to kind of like... Uh, introduce capital from China, from South Korea, from the Gulf countries, and also from Russia. And so, basically, this was this was his his move. And I'm wondering what will happen now after after this uh, this Ukrainian crisis, because in the first days of uh, in the first days of the war, there was a, a very visible kind of. Um, I don't know insecurity in 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 the government and and you could see it in in their declarations they were they didn't know what is happening they were surprised uh they didn't know where kind of like the public opinion will go where the international community will go or like nato eu will go uh, and so basically they, they, they had a couple of uh, days when when everything was chaotic but also they have a really good infrastructure. I mean, they have a, a proper Blair, Blairite infrastructure of polling. And so basically they know everything, every little kind of nuance in, in change of public opinion. And basically they ask the people, what makes you anxious in this situation? What interests you? 
and and in, in in one week they actually managed to 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 create their framework of or, or their main narrative in this issue and also the opposition had them i mean the opposition prime minister who kind of fancied himself like a, you know a, a, a hungarian trump in this sense of like he wanted to become a hungarian trump not not ideologically speaking whether he is a right wing person but kind of a moderate conservative or this kind of like i don't know market fundamentalist kind of mm. person but in terms of rhetoric and you know this kind of like uh, how how you talk how you talk with people how you uh, kind of this conspiracy minded rhetoric and all these kind of stuff he fashioned himself to be this kind of hungarian trump but it didn't work because he wasn't he didn't have the communication skills he didn't have the kind of like political sociology that trump had and so yeah he made mistakes i mean at the first kind of beginning he started at our channel uh, he started talking about how we have to give everything that NATO wants. And then my uh, my boss asked him even weapon or even like, you know, entering into an open conflict in Ukraine. If, and he said, well, yeah, if NATO says so, then we <laughs> should do that. And the wow, problem is that what a pushover. I have to check with my boss. <laughs> <laughs> so if um, NATO says so, and yeah, I mean, ooh, I, 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 I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much, I, I'm pretty much uh, also a bit too much uh, pro-Ukrainian in this, uh, in this entire conflict. So in, I'm, I'm not a, a very orthodox leftist, but anyway, so uh, I'm very much pro-Ukrainian, but I don't think that I'm also a Democrat, and I, I do believe that uh, the majority, if the majority of people don't want to enter into this war, even if NATO says so, so it was a it was a huge mistake on his part, and then the the government propaganda machine was just like really showing this everywhere. I mean, you couldn't go on YouTube without seeing this clip of, yeah, if NATO says so, you could see like every five minutes on TV, on the internet, Facebook, YouTube, everywhere. It's just They just like bom- carpet bombed the entire country with this clip. Um, you mentioned the, the Hungary's role in this world economy and perhaps these shifting uh, international connections. One thing that hangs in the balance is the EU and like these sanctions that um, there was just this court ruling two months ago that the EU could sanction members based on the rule of law. And that could affect, I don't know, tens of billions of euros, right, for Hungary's yeah. funding from your, from the EU. And at the same time, there's maybe a conventional wisdom that uh, Europe wants a united front against Russia or something, even if Orban's playing some role that that might look bad. Uh, is there any, wh- where do you think that's heading uh, in, in this whole context? I, I, I really don't know. I mean, what I've seen, what, what I see is that, yeah, definitely I think this whole conditionality mechanism with the rule of law it's a bit tricky for Orban right now, especially because he's left alone. Uh, because 
suddenly Poland has no more rule of law problems. I don't know if you observed that or that, if yeah. you know. Yeah, that just that, disappeared. Yeah, of course. As as the Russian tank, as solutions. the Russian tanks <laughs> entered Ukraine, just like this. Yeah. Uh, in the same way as Venezuela is not a problematic country anymore for well, yeah, the of US. Course. They have, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know what they have going on there, but it sounds like it's freedom and democracy now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Bloomberg, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I read this article on Bloomberg. It was ingenious. That, like, <laughs> yeah, I just found out Saudi Arabia has democracy problems. Guys, I just saw this. <laughs> <laughs> so Venezuela has no problems anymore and neither does Poland. And so, in a sense, uh, Orban is alone in this fight right now. And I, but the question is how willing the Commission is to actually be the, you know, the tough guy in this respect. And I yeah. usually am very skeptical about the European Commission in general and the toughness of the European Commission in this yeah. respect. Well- they have any uh, so, kind of power whatsoever yeah absolutely so I, I, yeah. i'm wondering I, I think it depends on on what will happen in france as well although this kind of rhetoric or this kind of like belligerent rhetoric of macron against orban is just for show like mm. usually when when you know real things or like uh, real stakes are present then they can uh, understand each other very well uh, and also it depends on what is happening in Germany and German foreign policy. And I really, really don't see what is happening in German foreign policy. And I'm wondering whether German foreign policymakers are seeing what is happening in German foreign policy at the moment. Well, I think everyone's just like flexing right now. And I mean, the European Commission has passed like what? They're like seventh package of sanctions that are mostly just suggestions you know, like a bunch of countries have come forward being like Germany being one of them be like, yeah, no, we're not going to actually sanction gas because that would be absolute political suicide or just like, I mean, Germany would like, like Italy as well. Yeah, Italy. Yeah, uh, also Italy. Yeah. And it's been I mean, I think that there's the thing that then I've always at least had the uh, like, uh, I mean, the impression from Orban of the thing I find this actually quite interesting, especially with Rob mentioning the European Commission thing, is that with Ursula von der Leyen being the head of it, someone who's technically from the same party as Orban is within like the European People's Party. Uh, not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Well, at and the that, time then, she was elected. Yeah. So you had, yeah, you had like within the EPP last year this thing of like, oh yeah, Orban and Fides, they're just too crazy for us. And I do legit, like exactly like you said, of this thing of like, oh yeah, Poland doesn't have any, you know, rule of law problems anymore. And all these other like, you know, little things that were, you know, debates or like, you know, Venezuela, or whatever, this and that and that. Um, I do legitimately think that that it just ends up becoming that then because Orban is just such a dick to everyone and really does want to make himself out to be the the outlier like like I mean what is like some of his like best buds are like Salvini who like wishes he could be Victor Orban or like Salvini Trump. was the first person to congratulate yeah. Orban. 
You know, Trump you fucking go, yeah. loves uh, Victor Orban as Tucker well. Carlson. Like, <laughs> what? Tucker yeah. Carlson. Yeah. yeah, Tucker Carlson wishes he could move to Hungary. He did. Wait, no, he Maybe did. Are. <laughs> he did. He did like a week long thing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so it like the, that's like the the I, I just find it so interesting in the sense of how of how this guy whose politics are like like. I don't know. They're not even like that. Like, I mean, obviously they're not like too like outsider in a sense that then he's still like very like racist, very capitalist, very much fits within like the like pro Western EU framework of things. He's not even really like that anti EU because they give him a bunch of fucking money for him to do like anti abortion ads and stuff like that that then he gets in trouble for. He just like doesn't fit within the framework of. Yeah, like the France Germany led coalition of of Europe. Yeah, but you know the kind of I think one dif- one huge difference between Orban and uh, these fanboys of his is that he's the one is, doing it. He's real. <laughs> yeah, and and he's also really really smart. Like you know, I mean, I mean, from what I've seen from Salvini and all these people. Yeah, I mean, in terms of political smartness, I I don't really see that much. And so, basically, with this whole European issue, I can I can see basically two parts with this rule of law, because yeah, Orban needs this money. This is for sure. And then one ish one strategy I think would be for him to actually just show that okay or promise that okay i'm gonna be a good guy from now on Mm. Uh, maybe make a couple of symbolic gestures and promise that he's going to be in a a geopolitical sense he's going to be a good guy so i'm not going to be fraternizing with you know putin and i will be a bit more you know angry at the chinese government and all this kind of stuff and then the whole issue gets resolved i think this is one solution, but this would be very unlike him. Mm. Uh, and another solution would be just, I don't know what the other solution would be, but the, the gist of it would be to just find a smart solution where he can get this, the EU funds and at the same time keep his uh, policy of being, uh, um, you know, this maverick who is friends with all these uh, weird people and I think he will try to pull that off yeah I, I'm I'm inclined to kind of agree with the like the first scenario you you uh, outlined like I mean he would get away with it basically I think for the EU's discussion of rule of law and the concern about things like anti-LGBT laws and stuff like that and the slave law I think the EU as a whole doesn't necessarily care what happens within Hungary as long as the geopolitics are in line. Like, I think the real concern with Orban is his position, not even necessarily with China, but more so with Russia. That, like, yeah, I always kind of mm-hmm. viewed Hungary as this kind of, like, Chinese backdoor for uh, for the European Union. If uh, if China does become the top dog in the world, we can just pretend we've always been friends with you. Because yeah, of- yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, this is the whole... The, the, this this idea of he i mean his uh, geopolitical genius in this sense is kind of enabled by i mean it was enabled by merkel for example it's it's hungary can do stuff 
that Germany cannot but would like to. So it's kind of this, the, there were these, these, this kind of division of labor in this sense of like, okay, Germany cannot veto this, you know, declare this kind of totally useless declaration against, I don't know, uh, Chinese uh, internment of uh, the Uyghur minority. So Germany cannot veto it because it would look like really bad. But Hungary can do it. So let's talk with Orban in the background and he will do it for us. And then the whole thing is just resolved. And yeah, oh, Beijing look, another... is going to be happy. And and there has been a lot of these instances. Um, a lot of these instances. Yeah. 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 I mean, like one of the best examples of that was like one of Merkel's last um, trips that she did was to the Western Balkans, where she like pretty much just like verbatim quotes Orban on... Uh, migration policies of why the West, like the Western Balkans need to be a part of Europe or the EU. They are, they're geographically a part of Europe. Um, <laughs> uh, not for like, Michael's like, yeah, like, like they're not economically important to us. We just need a way so that then, you know, to, to not create a causeway through Hungary for migration because, her her bro Viktor Orban was very mad about the the quote unquote refugee crisis, and that was like it was amazing just seeing her. I think the I think the conference was 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 in Slovenia, and just going off about like yeah, my colleague Viktor Orban's right. It was like oh yeah, this is the you know like the 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 neoliberal sweetheart yeah. Angela Merkel agreeing with a you know yeah that was when far right at the presidency. Yep, exactly. So. Um, so I think the next thing I want to move on to, though, is, um, okay, name alert. Eggy Seg Ben Magyarozagert. United for Hunger. I pronounced it flawlessly. Yeah, you did. So this is this was supposedly the united opposition that was going to unseat Viktor Orban. And... They didn't do that. <laughs> so <laughs> we're sitting uh, here making this episode, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um so I guess uh, first question is like who are these people and like what were they promising? Yeah, so basically this um United for Hungary kind of party coalition, it consists of six different parties hmm. and out of the six different parties uh, three actually have voters and members. Mm. Um, so kind of, it's a good ratio. 50% of the member sure. parties actually have some uh, uh, popular uh, support. Um, so basically, we have this kind of like what the, the Fidesz propaganda called the rainbow coalition, because, you know, Rainbow, that's gay. Yo, that's so. gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they figured it out. The marketing team going. Yeah, normally, wild. normally a term that's like good in like you know political theory. Hungary just can be like, uh, yo, that gay shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a kind of like a, in the Rainbow Coalition, uh, and so six parties. There is one which is called Democratic Coalition. That's part of the the socialist group in the, I mean, the 
party of European socialists uh, in the uh, European Union. And so this democratic coalition is basically this kind of like, um, how should I put it? It's a kind of a new labor style liberal party in this sense. It's led by a former prime minister who used to be the Ferenc Djurcan, who used to be prime minister between 2004 and 2009, so for five years. He was like a really, really horrible person, uh, I mean, in, in, in political terms. Yeah. Uh, and he is still so, he's still the most uh, rejected politician in Hungary. So every time, the, I, I mean, you might have seen on Twitter, uh, every election, election cycle since 2010, mm. He was used by Fidesz on his build on on his billboards as a kind of like a, a kind of a deterrent. And every time the 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 current prime ministerial candidates and all these kind of opposition politicians, but the whole message was that there's Jurchai and they are all uh, his puppets. And every time this year as well, uh, before this uh, before the war broke out in uh, in Ukraine, actually the YouTube clips and all this uh, carpet bomb stuff was about um, uh, this uh, prime ministerial candidate Peter Markizoy being a mini me of Georgia, so being a mini Georgian. Uh This was the the campaign uh, clips. So anyway, uh, we have this party. Uh, this is, by now, this is the largest opposition party. And then there's uh, the second largest party, Jobbik, which used to be an extreme right-wing party. And at a certain point after the, the refugee crisis, they realized that they cannot be more extreme right than Fidesz. There is no more space there. And so they started to kind of go towards the center and refashion or rebrand themselves into this kind of like center right conservative plebeian party, which for a which for a period seems seemed to be a smart strategy. And uh in 2018, they actually got the most votes among the opposition parties. Uh, their message was uh, this kind of wage equality on the European Union level. So they were kind of like campaigning for uh, French wage or like Hungarian wages to be on the same level as German or, or French wages, which is kind of a yeah. It is smart political message, and it actually paid off for them. And so, but uh, after their, <clears throat> after 2018, they kind of like split up, and there were like kind of years of internal turmoil. And then one faction actually managed to kind of consolidate party within uh, power within the party, and the rest left. Sure. Uh, and we will see them. Um, Later, later list, when yeah. we talk about <laughs> another extreme right-wing party. So so we have the Democratic Coalition, we have Jobbik, and then we have the remnants of the old um, uh, Socialist Party. It's kind of a, kind of the... When, the, when state socialism fell, uh, the, the, par- the party, the Hungarian Socialist Workers Party refashioned itself or tried to refashion itself into a European Social Democratic Party. Mm. And they were kind of the main, main 
government party between 1990 and 2010 uh, and the 2008 crisis and and also kind of internal stuff that they they just fucked up uh, also halved their membership and since 2010 they've been on a on a constant decrease they were trying to they say i mean their name is socialist but they are not socialist they there were attempts to actually kind of like feel some or or, or introduce some basic left-wing ideology into their party but it's basically just a a, a, mach- a political machinery that uh produces uh mp seats for less progressively less and less people um so yeah we have them and then we have two green parties the politics can be different and um dialogue for hungary and uh, (laughs) and so they are like two really really small uh green parties that at a certain point started as one Mm, and it was kind of this uh, in 2010 or, or 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 after in 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 the early 2010s there were like these attempts to create a third pole or, or kind of like an alternative politics in opposition to this big uh, Fides versus the socialist kind of uh, duality and that's how Jobbik arise they tried it from the extreme right to kind of create a third political pole within this Hungarian dualism. And uh, and there was this politics can be different, uh, which which tried from this green green direction to create the third pole. Neither of those uh, actually succeeded, and and by 2022 they actually ended up in the same camp with the old socialists. They tried to to actually yeah yeah. Uh, I love how the idea of that it's like Hungary going to do like third way politics of like not left not right, and then it's just like. Jovic comes is like yeah what about fascism like it's like the <laughs> 1920s <laughs> a further rise yeah. oh sorry and I forgot the, I forgot the sixth party there's also this kind of new wave liberal macronist type of party the moment of course, of course I forgot that <laughs> um, what if the FDP but no one liked them Oh, that, that sounds nice no <laughs> actually they actually they are not that horrible I oh mean, okay I can't I mean, be uh, <laughs> <laughs> they used to be nowadays nowadays it's i mean within this kind of within the opposition kind of political offer or you know mm. the they are pretty okay in comparison to all the rest sure well, yeah. Speaking of all the rest, I guess. <laughs> so um, this is the 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 six parties, and then. Uh, they, it took it took them actually ten years to manage to form this coalition. It was the idea of forming an anti-Orban uh, party coalition was there since the beginning, since the new electoral law in, that was adopted by Orban in 2011, and then this new electoral law was basically this kind of first past the post system where yeah. this kind of British stuff. So basically, it kind of uh made them create this this coalition uh in order to have any real chance of of winning and it took them 10 years to do so 
And then at certain point, they decided that they are going to hold primaries for every uh, individual constituency and also for their prime ministerial candidate. And then last last autumn, they did this primary, which was a kind of a success, really. I, I think that was the high point of their campaign. And from there on, since October, uh, they just been uh, on a downslide. Anyway, they, they had a primary, which <clears throat> first decided on the candidates for every for the 106 individual constituencies. And then also they had a two-round uh, prime ministerial uh, primary, mm. which was won by this guy, Peter Markizai, um, who is not a member of any of these parties and who was campaigning in a sense as this outsider who is going to change this swamp of old opposition Ooh, parties. Wow, I wonder where he got that from. Come on. And, I mean, I don't think he used the swamp expression. I'm just uh, sure, sure, sure. But, the, but yeah. the bog of, of, of <laughs> Hungarian politics. Yeah. So he was campaigning on that platform and then he got elected. It was a really surrealistic uh, scene as well because in the first round he came in third. Yeah, I remember this. And then at a certain point, he was like strong arming the mayor of Budapest, who is like this green kind of center left mm. wishy-washy guy. Like he's really, really a wishy-washy guy. Um, this is how he was also portrayed by Fidesz. At a certain point, Viktor Orban said that uh, when you have to slaughter the pig, you know, this is kind of like a rural tradition of like killing the pig. And this guy wouldn't, he would just get there late when every, everything is done. And, and I hate when that happens. Even, he, he couldn't even assemble an Ikea, uh, you know, <laughs> Ikea furniture. Um, That's actually so anyway, anyway, I think he could actually uh, uh, assemble an Ikea furniture. But um, nonetheless, politically speaking, he was the big hope of, the center left for a long period of time. But after yeah. this primary, I think he's, he's pretty much done. And he's really much responsible for actually enabling this uh, Mark Izai to become the prime ministerial candidate. So there was a second round where the, there was this Mark Izai in opposition to the Democratic Coalition, Clara Dobrev, who is the wife of Ferenc Gyurcsányi and uh, Francis and Claire Underwood uh, kind of parallels here with uh, Ferenc and Clara are uh, pretty much yeah. uh, given. And so, yeah, basically that's, that's what happened. And this guy was a kind of like a really strong right-wing person. He was saying that, okay, his main goal is to actually attract uh, people who are this uh, I have a disenchanted by Fidesz, so kind of like these old Fidesz voters who are not anymore Fidesz voters, mm. which proved to be like a really, 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 really stupid move because apparently there are no people who got disenchanted for from Fidesz. <laughs> there are people who got disenchanted from the opposition and decided to vote for Fidesz. I mean, Fidesz got more votes this year than four years ago, for example. So, right. yeah. 
Yeah, because like it, 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 it kind of seems like from the analysis that I've read after the election that there was people were kind of confused about what this opposition stood for, mm-hmm. um, and that they, uh, um, yeah, they they didn't appeal to anyone bar like some people in Budapest. That seems to be it. Yeah. Um, they also focused on the wrong issues. Also, I, we, we're hearing a lot of like they focused on like Ukraine and uh, uh, Orban's connections to Putin. While you said earlier, Fidesz did this these bread and butter issues. Yeah, but even before that, so so basically, I I, I don't agree that they don't have voters outside of Budapest. Mm. But it's true that I mean, sociologically speaking, that the more uh, the more rural areas are more Fidesz, uh, the more people vote for Fidesz in rural areas. That's mm. true. So there is this kind of like um, tendency, but there are opposition voters in the countryside as well. Sure. Uh, just the kind of the ratios are, are different. But uh, their main platform was anti-corruption and you... Definitely, I mean, we know these kind of anti-corruption uh, platforms from all around Eastern Europe, but we know it from they they Latin work. America. There's never any problems. They are... sometimes they actually. I mean, <laughs> I, I do agree with you, and I'm a huge. I, I've been for a decade now. I've been a huge critic of this entire anti-corruption platform. I mean, yeah, but also. If you look at it, in some cases it works. It worked in Slovakia for Matovic. It worked in Romania for Basescu, and then so it, it it works. It can give you electoral um, victories, yeah, yeah. but it's not. I mean, it's it's a kind of this anti-political stuff in, in and in this context where Orban is actually using politics in a in a very positive sense, not in, not positive as a value, you know, it's good, but positive in the sense of like affirmative sen- sense. He is using politics to actually make a statement, to, to propose stuff, yeah. to change stuff, to, to, to organize <laughs> stuff and all these kind of things. And, and, um, and the opposition was using this anti-corruption rhetoric. This was their, their, common denominator basically the only thing they could agree on and uh and apparently it, it it did not work but it didn't work back in 2014 and it didn't work back in 2018 so at a certain point they should have realized that this anti-corruption rhetoric doesn't work they can do it a third time but you know <laughs> Maybe third time's the charm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before we move on, I have just one quick question before we, because we're talking, there's another party who then is not part of the opposition who did very well uh, last week or wait, two weeks ago now? Two. Yeah. yeah. Two weeks ago. Yeah. And um, there was, and I, I, I simply, I want to ask, you know, you know, someone on the ground who's in Hungary. Um, I saw some reports of the like that there were a bunch of candidates that just like appeared super like last minute that had no backing really from anyone that were apparently part of the opposition but like didn't have pictures, uh, didn't like obviously win but were just simply like speculated to have been put up by Fidesz in order to just like distract voters. Is that true? <laughs> 
yes, yes, cool. it is true. <laughs> so cool. basically, yeah. it's it it's not that fun. I mean, it's not that hip anymore. Hmm. Uh, it was it was much more um, prevalent in previous election cycles, yeah. especially in 2014. But the whole idea is that the electoral system is created so that it generates it gener- it generates these kind of fake parties and fake candidates who can uh, then take up some state funding for their campaign. And because the law was created in a sense that they are not accountable how they spend those monies, you could actually create a lot of these business parties and 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 have millions and millions and hundreds of millions of um, of campaign uh, funds or like state funds that are allocated for campaign purposes for every party and every candidate, and then they they could just disappear with that money. And they did it in two thousand and fourteen. They did it in two thousand and eighteen. There were dozens of these parties and candidates. Like you could see that. For example, in in one county, uh, all the candidates came from the same family, or or and and there La were, Familia. <laughs> yeah, and there were there actually were uh, a couple of people who did this in like, big time, you know, in kind of like industrial levels of of the siphoning of campaign funds. We actually did a, a partisan uh, a, a six part docu- documentary series on 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 these business parties and, and, and fake parties as they are called here, but mm-hmm. bullshit parties, that would be the best translation. And yeah, they, for a, for a time they serve this purpose of, you know, kind of confusing voters. Um, for example, you know, this kind of like, unitedness of the opposition has been a team for for uh, 12 years as i said so there was kind of like always call for the opposition to unite and and their name was like now united for hungary but in previous years there were a lot of different parties who played with this team of like united opposition and all these kind of things so they just just throw off voters of mm. yeah Oh, this, wow. this like, it, it's actually weird like that does happen in the uk i think we talked about this before in the podcast oh the guy who right? changed his name to brexit yeah yeah um <laughs> he, so he could have brexit on the actual ballot because he was an independent um even when like ukip started like uk independence party there were like there were councils where people would run for like great britain independence party like things to basically trick your grandmother into into voting like you know your 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 grandmother goes to the shop to buy you like the newest transmorph like transformers on dvd and then she comes home with transmorphers you're like mm. <laughs> this isn't the same yeah but also if you it's kind of a more theoretical point but if mm. we are thinking about the fact especially in but it's it's not a hungarian phenomenon but uh in Hungary, you can see it pretty well that there are a lot of mainstream taken for serious, I mean, taken seriously parties that have no membership, that have no popular support. Mm. But due to this kind of like, um, this kind of electoral rules that make it possible to run in a coalition and then have an independent uh, parliamentary group. 
uh, afterwards and then have funds for that independent parliamentary group. So it's it's kind of like the the the, the borders between bullshit parties and real parties. It's not that kind of tough, uh, uh, kind of really visible. It's it's mm-hmm. more like a question of degrees. And if we want to talk about the porn party, the porn millionaire party, yes. there that's that's quite that's exactly on the border you cannot decide if that's for for real or it's just for bullshit and it's it's i i think yeah let's let's talk about that now because we've mentioned it we can come back to the other uh, hell yeah uh um because like all of this all you're just kind of like describing these kind of like no membership kind of come out of nowhere parties i was looking into the origin of like macron's presidential campaign in like 2017 it's very similar Yeah, (laughs) yeah The lines do blur, uh, but yes, okay. I want to I want to talk about this party that I found, which is not in the parliament, is not important. I don't think. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, good. Okay, confirmation. Uh, Megoldas Megoldas Mozgalom uh, uh, or Solution Movement. Yes. Uh, um, founded by again, I'm going to butcher this name, Georgi Gatyan. Um, Gatyan. Um, Hungary's third richest man uh, who founded notorious pop-up ad Live Jasmine (laughs) um, and spun that wealth into being a movie producer and I guess now a party leader. Yeah, Um, a fair movie producer. Oh, (laughs) damn, pouring one out, King. He also invented a sport. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. Hang on. there's not enough sports we need more sports <laughs> yeah he invented a, a kind of uh it's it's like table tennis uh-huh. but the table is not straight but it's somehow kind of like wavy or i i, I don't really understand oh, hell yeah no, i'd play but, that but there is this, this we're gonna play this, this on the next live stream These are the he wants to make like an olympic sport and actually the ministry of foreign affairs is a huge supporter of this and they're a huge supporter of live jasmine as well probably too oh yeah and so basically live jasmine anyway if i google this i'm gonna be upset aren't i it's the it's the precursor of OnlyFans. Oh, of, okay. uh, no, because we this is this is we've had we've had an anecdote, a Nick related anecdote before on this podcast. Deep lore. It's oh. very similar to Chatterbait. Oh hell yeah! I yeah, just yeah, I yeah. just found live se- live sex cam shows. Yeah, free yeah, chat with yeah. webcam girls. Wow. Oh okay, it's, cool. It's basically, how to produce porn with less money than usually porn is produced. So it's kind mm. of like this this model of oh absolutely and like, like platform economy in terms of porn. Yeah, I, I mean, before we make run away with the other comparisons, it's uh, it's worth pointing out there was a great article in lefties.org by Amelia Barna and Noemi Katona who go into like how that industry actually works because OnlyFans was actually like a bit more liberatory. It actually gave people, sex workers, control over a little bit of what they were doing. Like we can critique platform economy, but like as far as I understand, Live Jasmine runs on like this kind of abusive studio system where a lot of the people on it aren't actually independent. They're kind of like contract, like working yeah, yeah, for yeah. Yeah, a studio that abuses them. And then they're on live. Doesn't you porn function the same way? 
Yeah, very similar. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, enough, 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 you know, enough, enough guys talk about, you know, live Jasmine. And yeah, so basically this guy is like, it's really rich. And at a certain point he was, um, uh, in the beginning of the 2010s, he was kind of, um, investigated by the Hungarian tax authority for a, a lot oh, of, uh, a lot of, uh, I don't know, not, not conforming to the tax code, sure. usual millionaire stuff. And then he took those issues up to, to the um, European court of justice. And I think he also won there, but so he started fashioning himself as this, you know, oppressed by the, by the Orban regime kind of stuff. Okay, I am oppressed by the regime, the tax mm. authority, and he moved most of his businesses to Luxembourg or Malta or somewhere where. Smart move, king shit. You know, business yeah, yeah, mindset yeah, yeah. right there. Cyprus, Liechtenstein, we've got Ireland. Like, Ireland, yeah, where I'm from, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just have to correct myself. You porn, I do not think is a site. I meant Pornhub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe you porn is a site, and I'm just very much exists and it. it's owned by Pornhub. Oh, thank you for that, Kieran. <laughs> I have a monopoly. What can I say? Um, but go on. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so basically this, but he's also at the same time, he's doing business with the government. So the, the, the hypothesis of the opposition and most of the independent media was that he's actually running as this kind of uh, disturbance bullshit party to, to mm. actually divide opposition voters. Sure. Apparently, there was no need for that, but uh, he did that. And um, also, so besides being, a, you know, a business genius who invented live jasmine and also inventing a sport and, sport, table tennis. and, uh, and he's also trying, he also tried to enter into fashion and film industry and all this kind of stuff. None of those actually uh, panned out. The Hungarian he's Kanye? He's kind of, you know, this kind of millionaire who is, who, Things that he's really wise and is in the, wise in the spiritual sense, you know, he wants to be a guru as well. Oh, like, like Jack Dorsey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like his party. Uh, one of my colleagues infiltrated his party for a while and wrote uh, articles about the internal environment of how they are uh, recruiting candidates and all these kind of uh, party events. And it's really like this kind of, uh, you know, this sect kind of environment or it's kind of like i don't know it's osho kind of vibe the whole thing had this um spiritual wide uh vibe as right. well but yeah that's millionaires do that a lot oh of course yeah i guess the vibes were off because i'm sorry no kieran just sent me a picture of i'm assuming they're playing this weird game in the russian foreign ministry I found, yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. They like it. I found the sport. I found the sport. It's all in the group. It's really stuff. fun. Yeah. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of other like little vibes about this because, like, on the show, we're a big fan of like rich guy bullshit. Uh, um, so th- this guy's first of all he, on his Wikipedia page in English, he had a website that was just you know his name dot com. Uh, but that would, that redirects to solutionmovement.hu, 
Uh, so he's gotten rid of like his personal. Such a fucking scam. <laughs> he's 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 all in on this party now. Also, we're pointing out the thing that I think is like very kind of like rich guy. Like, he, okay, he's a big promoter of digitalization uh, yes, as this definitely. as this equalizer in Hungarian society. Like, there's just more apps or more things are online. All the problems will be solved. Kind of bullshit. does he take all of his pictures like while like tenting his fingers? There's a lot of very LinkedIn style pictures. Hell yeah! Okay, cool. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. the swag. Um. But, like, one little thing that I feel like is very FTP, very kind of uh, uh, um, our boy here in Germany, is that when you go on to the party's website, it's in English first, and you have to switch into Hungarian. Ooh, um, hell yeah. yeah. You know, Mr. Hung- Mr. Worldwide over here. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Having your Hungarian political party's website even offering an English translation, I feel like, is a very strange. You know what that move. that reminds me of? That reminds me of my old landlord who ran for mayor of Berlin under a digitalization party in in Berlin that is called. Ber- I can talk about this now because I moved out. Um, <laughs> under the name Berlin Brain. First off, yes. awesome fucking party name. <laughs> And um, he has these YouTube videos. He's a he's like a massive like Randian objectivist, absolute psychopath. Mm. His name is Alexander Skora. You can fucking find him on YouTube. You can find his Berlin Dome party, whatever the fuck it's called. Um, but he did everything in English except for like he like doesn't speak English well enough. So like he would like say like the date in German. He's like go to vote on like Sechsundzwanzigsten September zweitausendzweihunderteinundzwanzig, and you're like, wait, what? Like it's the entire thing was in English, but yeah, has like there is no German version though of like the like LinkedIn finger tent guy. It is a guy that then looks like he rides like a Laster, uh, Lasterrad and mm-hmm. um, like you know, lives in like Prenzlauerberg, but is just an absolute psychotic libertarian. So I get the vibe to a degree of the vibes of that party because the dude who rented me one of the shittiest apartments I've ever fucking lived in in my life is this person, just German. Does he also have a live Jasmine type site or is being a landlord? I bet that he, I bet that he fucking does. I bet that he has like whatever, like the like German equivalent of like, only fans, yeah. Nur, and, nur, nur fans. <laughs> and that, does he do philanthropy? Hundred percent tax break, does. tax break, baby. He tried to buy. <laughs> speaking of philanthropy, he tried to buy Air Berlin. <laughs> like, <laughs> All right, we have to move away from. Yeah, Nick's sorry, old line. <laughs> I finally get to talk about him on the show because I moved out of that place and and it's all taken care of. Just funny. But um, yeah, so this 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 uh, solution movement, the the memo uh, uh, party. I also yeah. saw. Yeah, they got over one percent. Yeah, which is actually a good result. I mean, does that unlock- if you get one after one uh, or or um, above one percent, you are entitled to uh, party funds from Ooh. from the state budget. Hell yeah, my man making so- more money. So everyone, this is this is our prediction for the future. Everyone needs to learn to play this curved volleyball sport because it's that's bright future ahead for that. You'll yeah. Like, well, yeah, we're, we're gonna so see. We're gonna see. It wasn't a whole Bloomberg operation of like um, mm. just burning money, but he burned a lot of money. Yeah, sure. we're gonna see. Yeah, we're gonna see. Uh, uh, 
uh, Sergei Lavrov playing this game in like three months. As the old saying goes, you got to burn money to get state funds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think we can move on then to the, the last party I want to talk about before we leave uh, the nerd shit that is uh, uh, party politics. Um, Miha Zank. Uh, Mia, yeah. yeah okay uh our homeland movement which yikes uh, <laughs> on that name but um this is this is the new political party uh, uh to the right they're they the only thing i heard is they were picking up like former yabik voters um but yeah who, who are they what are they promising yeah they are picking up former Yobik voters and they are former Yobik politicians. Yeah. So this is a splinter group from Yobik, which I, I was talking about earlier, that they had this uh, years-long uh, internal turmoil. Mm. And so some of the most radical people who were not um, pretty um, happy about this march to the center uh, they actually left the party and they formed this um, Our Homeland movement. And basically, they took over most of the... Uh, so Hungary, Hungary in the 2000s had a pretty vibrant uh, extreme right-wing subculture with festivals and movements and civic groups and all this kind of... Uh, uh, you know, civil, basically a kind of a extreme right-wing civil society. In Sebastian sense. Gorka being a really big fan of them. And and so they, they actually took over the remnants of that, which was also too radical for Jobbik to keep. And, mm. and also they took over some of the topics of Jobbik and you would uh, be surprised that it's not just, uh, you know, I think their success is not actually cannot be explained with this kind of anti-Roma or anti-minority sentiments. They have that rhetoric definitely, but it's not very prevalent, especially since uh, after 2010, Fidesz managed to solve this situation through through um, through a combination of measures. They actually managed to pacify the countryside where where there was there were pretty big conflicts between uh, between well parts of the so-called white uh, um, lower middle classes and the kind of uh, Roma uh, minorities and there was a pretty big conflict there and we had like murders this kind of assassinations of of roma people yeah. roma kids even so it was uh, at the end of the 2000s it was a, a really horrible period in the hungarian countryside and through a combination of me- measures uh, um Fidesz managed to restore social peace. And so this anti-Roma rhetoric doesn't have that much of a, a, a drive anymore electorally speaking um what uh, this uh, our movement uh, or our our homeland movement <laughs> did uh, on the one hand they were the only party who were this kind of covid skeptic re- anti restriction party so their success partly is explained by this and also um 
And this is also an extreme right-wing tradition and uh, a huge failure of the left that even since the 2000s, the extreme right has been uh, on, on the forefront of the housing fight. So uh, they've been protecting people from foreclosures, from evictions. Right. Um, they've been very active in this respect. And uh, our homeland movement uh, actually managed to keep this topic in a sense by um, uncovering a kind of a mafia network within the, um, and I don't know the English expression, you know, who are those people who have the right to evict, actually? So when there is an eviction note and they have the right to do so, so it's a kind of a legal profession. It's not a notary public. It's not uh, lawyers, but it's a, it's a different kind of a, a, a oh, profession in Hungary. Whose in a lot job of the is to... world, they would just send the police. So. Yeah, exactly. Like I know they're yeah, in Berlin. Yeah, the police Berlin. need a permission from somewhere. So it would be, the, the, it'd be a court order in like in Germany and the United States, but if maybe like Hungary has like okay, a different Okay, so in Hungary thing. we have a different kind of yeah. uh, okay. um, profession for this. Sure. Uh, that sounds like a horrible it. profession to have. These people probably suck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. They are one of the most hated people and it's understandable. Rightfully so. Um, yeah. Anyway, and they, then Mihazan started uncovering this entire um, network, which at a certain point, it turned out that they have connections uh, with the government as well. They bribed a, a state secretary who worked at the Ministry of Justice. Uh, and, and so one of the other kind of secret of their success was this topic, uh, right. this, this scandal as well which they wouldn't have been able to uncover if they weren't embedded in this issue of housing and, and this kind of uh, the foreclosure of houses bought with, uh, with Forex um, loans, which was a huge thing in the 2000s, mm. uh, especially the Swiss franc-based loans and, 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 and thousands and tens of thousands of people actually uh, got screwed by those loans. Yeah, yeah. That sounds super similar to, and I know that I always bring it, this discussion to another country of Europe to, you know, compare and contrast. But um, that sounds really similar to how like Golden Dawn became really popular because they <laughs> like after the financial crisis, they made their entire point of like, yeah, we're, I mean, Golden Dawn are out and out Nazis who are illegal now. But they made their entire politic about doing like food drives and like giving like you had to like yeah. show your passport to show that you were Greek. But they would like provide you with, um, yeah, basic necessities that the government wasn't doing and this and that and that. So, and it's like, like exactly the sense of that the left, not even just in Hungary or in Greece, or, but it, just, it, it feels like in the sense that in a lot of countries they've dropped the ball on this. Yeah, and definitely. that there is this like massive misunderstanding that then that the most important type of politic is the one that then obviously affects people on their day to day lives. Do you have a house? Do you have food? Like gas and stuff like that in France is a really big one. That's like the yellow vest movement. Yeah, yeah. You know, like can you exist? Can you, you know, you know, feed yourself, feed your family, you know, have a roof over your head, work this and that and that, and um. 
Yeah. Like the tactic is just like the right obviously knows that these are old leftist tactics and they're just like, yeah, screw it, whatever. Like we'll, we'll take that up, whatever, you know, and we're going to go to the people and provide them with material goods or with the means in order for them to provide for themselves because we know that then if we do that, they'll vote for us. Like, and this is how they build social embeddedness in a yeah. sense. So kind mm-hmm. of like, and it's, it, it works not just because they, they, I mean, it's, it's the, it's really fun to, funny to have to spell this out um, for politicians, but apparently it is uh, something of a novelty for many politicians that, yeah, this is how you kind of know what people, what the problem of the people are. It's just like, kind of working with them in a sense crazy yeah. i know uh, right wow I can't. Among them. <laughs> and so and in and this in, in this sense it's i mean i i'm really much opposed to to this mihaza movement and to the fidesz government as well it's horrible and and i've been in many respects uh attacked personally uh also but um in a sense, it's a much more democratic exercise of of politics, or a much more democratic way of doing politics than uh, what uh, the opposition parties do, which are really, really much uh, elitistic, and they have nothing actually to say to anybody. They even the people who vote for them, because the people who vote for them, um, they have also a lot of issues. Um, but they don't have anything to say to them, even uh, even to them. So uh, it's a it's a pretty uh, kind of a tragic crisis of representation that is happening in the um, in the Hungarian opposition uh, opposition sphere. Well, that uh, I think that leads us to uh, uh, exiting the parliament and the election itself. And uh, Rob, you had some uh, question about some stuff happening happening outside the parliament. What's going on in the streets? Yeah, I mean, so you've mentioned this. Uh, I think you explicitly called it like a like a liberal labor tension um, uh, earlier in this in this episode, and it seems like a recurring. Certainly, if the the left has a role in in whatever opposition to Orban and Fidesz is, it seems like it would be through uh, organizing workers and and through and through labor. And I'm just wondering what if if you could talk about that tension a little bit more. I know there have been um, teacher strikes recently, um, and I think they will be ongoing or they're planned for later uh, in, or in the fall again. And one one example that stuck out to me was with the with the slave with the slave law. There were both um, massive street demonstrations or, or protests and um, worker actions. I know at the one mm-hmm. of the car manufacturing plants, I forget which one. So how how do those interplay? Does do do, do the, is it like kind of captured by a certain kind of uh, liberal opposition politics? Are worker actions kind of completely independent of electoral politics, or maybe have a right wing or conservative expression when they do become when they do take the form of electoral politics? What's could, could you just elaborate on that dynamic a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think. The first thing to to mention here is that um, the trade union movement in Hungary uh, has undergone 
very similar kind of decomposition as in, in, in other parts of the world. Uh, it has been after after 1989, after the regime change, it has been um, integrated or connected to parties. So the socialists, the socialist party, uh, naturally had the the largest chunk of the the loyalty of the trade union movement. But uh, the right wing parties also kind of had their own trade unions. And with this association of electoral politics and with the kind of this disembeddedness of or, or progressive disembeddedness of um, of the parties, they also lost their role. And um, after after the regime change, uh, every consecutive Hungarian government was uh, mainly pro-capital uh, government, and so we didn't have pro-labor governments. We had governments that were more open to welfare measures and there were governments that were less open to welfare measures. But, you know, having welfare measures doesn't mean that you are actually a pro-labor government in the sense of um, supporting organized labor. You are just, through welfare measures, you are supporting uh, individual consumption, which is important for many people. And I don't want to... uh, you know, uh, pass a judgment on that. But one thing is uh, individual consumption or, or, or um, and the other thing is organized labor. And so organized labor was killed, basically. And uh, what, le- what was left of them was killed by Orban after 2010, when he introduced a new labor law, which actually made... Um, strike basically impossible, especially in the public sector. So in the public sector, it's concretely impossible to strike. The, what, the, the, what the teachers uh, or part of the teachers did recently was not legal. Uh, or, or, or it was a wide strike or, or, or it was civic disobedience, basically. It wasn't a strike, it was civic disobedience, but it, it just, you know, it's a matter of how do you call it. But uh, anyway, so in the public sector, it's impossible to strike. And even in the in the <clears throat> real economy, so to speak, uh, it's very, very difficult to organize strikes. Um, okay, so this is one point. Uh, the second point is that um, after 2008, um, after the crisis, there were uh, important economic changes within Hungary. Uh, There was a reindustrialization undergoing under Orban. So uh, what I said previously of like uh, uh, attracting uh, foreign capital, not just from Western Europe, but from the Far East and from Gulf countries and Russia as well. So there was a, a, an intensive drive of reindustrialization. Orban had this ideology of um, um, work-based societies. So everybody has to uh, uh, has to work, um, and this created a lot of. Um, this intensified exploitation on the one hand. So this mean, meant intensified exploitation um, and also created a lot of uh, a, a lot of frustrations, a lot of conflicts among workers. So most of the, 
so since 2014, actually the labor movement started uh, to revitalize in a sense. Uh, there were a lot of strikes, uh, in, in, uh, especially in, in uh, multinational companies. Uh, you ha- we had the kind of the biggest strike, I think, was at Audi, but we had important strikes at the Continental, the German one. Uh, there were uh, also strikes at, uh, at uh, South Korean firms, but uh, those are... Those are horrible firms for strike. Uh, uh, like much worse than, than, than the German firms. And um, so we had a lot of strike action. And usually this, this was a bottom-up uh, labor mobilization, usually not through the official trade union structures, but kind of through independent trade unions. So for example, today, one of the strongest and most... Uh, um, vibrant trade union is at the Audi factory at Gjör, and they make a, a very express point of not being associated with any of the trade union federations. They organize solidarity actions with other trade unions. They, they are very uh, uh, supportive of um, other workers and other organized labor groups, mm. but they are they don't want to be members of any trade union confederation, and they also want to keep kind of distance from party politics. And so this this um, um, rebirth of organized labor is also um, very much, uh, in this sense, very anti-political. Right. in the party political sense and also so there is there isn't this this recognition that kind of the fight of labor against capital is actually the political fight so it's this element is still missing but there is a kind of a revival in this sense so this is the second thing. And there's a third thing that, of course, there are attempts by parties to to um, somehow co-opt these movements. Mm. Some are successful, some are less successful. For example, we were talking about this Our Homeland movement. So there was a, the most recent strike action actually happened in, in the... In the Continental uh, Tire Factory in southeastern, uh, yes, southeastern Hungary, mm. and they were looking at, at at a certain point. They were really, really, really attacked by the by the company management. They were threatened pretty badly. Uh, it was it was a very very difficult fight for them, and they were looking actually for for outside help from whatever politi- politician or whatever part of society they were ruling looking for support um and and actually left-wing or so-called left-wing parties apart from um one uh, uh, like two there are two really uh, authentic leftist politicians within the opposition i can talk about them they are really really great guys um they actually had a press conference there uh, but nothing really more. 
the actual help that was given to these supporters or, or these uh, uh, strikers came from the Our Homeland movement, mm. who whose supporters, you know, this kind of like motorbike rider kind of leather wearing Nazis. This is a thing in Hungary. I don't know. They're all members of Black Label Society. Yes, probably. uh, And they actually went there and they helped these strikers uh, keep out the strike breakers who were hired just recently by the firm to continue production uh, based on uh, this kind of contract workers. So the firm started bringing in contract workers uh, to to um, continue production and basically break down the entire strike action. And then these, like these, yeah, these yeah. extreme right-wing people Nazi were the ones that games. had... <laughs> The ones that had them, so so it's a, a pretty strange. So there are these pretty pretty strange things. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> it was a pretty long one, but yeah. So this is this is how the picture looks. I think in labor terms. I think that's a very um, yeah interesting answer. I think it makes. I don't know if it's certainly yeah strange that the Nazi biker gangs are showing up to the teachers' protests, but. In a no, way, it's not teachers. Tire, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, tire factory workers. Yeah, Where are their I, tires going to come from for their bikes? That's <laughs> fucking <laughs> right, brother. Let me tell you. Um, yes, sorry, I, I mix up in my head because the teacher strikes, when they've happened in, in other countries, a lot of people point out that it is they're interesting exactly f- because they put the issue of social embeddedness to the mm-hmm. often to the front, right? Because it's not just that the teachers have or bad pay and, and overworked or bad conditions, but that the work they're doing is for your children. You know, maybe they even... They often You've met them at teacher te- parent-teacher meetings before. You probably know them. They, like, they continue to provide childcare during the um, during the strike sometimes, etc. And that, as we were talking before, that if there's some kind of social embeddedness that this far-right party is doing that the other parties aren't doing, this can also come from labor, in a sense, right, or or possibly could, and so then it's interesting that um, yeah, striking workers and the in the far right party are somehow yeah. uh, mm. coming together in some way. I would assume it's around that. Yeah. No, I mean in terms of, for example, the public sector workers are much more um, political in this party political sense, and they are much more connected to to the opposition. That sure. is for sure. There are two big trade unions, or a bigger one and a smaller one, but two trade unions in the education sector, and um, and they are much more active in this sense. And there there were more support action uh, from the right. It's for the this elitist opposition. It's much more much easier to you know sympathize with teachers than with with factory workers. So it's mm. it's as simple as that. And so there were much more support uh, coming from the opposition for these people. With the problem of, of education, is um, it's very difficult to build um, an overall sol- solidarity within society with teachers because how, uh, especially how Orban constructed the education system is a zero-sum game between teachers and parents. 
because parents have to work a lot, like they have to work their asses off. They have no free time. So for them, the function of school is to keep their children for a couple of hours so they can go to work and they don't have to worry about their children. So this is the main function of school of the school system in Hungary. And at the point that the teacher says that, okay, today I'm going on a strike. I'm going to I'm going on a strike. I'm not doing work. I'm not taking care of your children. At that very moment, the parents is going to say, fuck you. Uh, I don't want to, I don't care about your problems. I don't care about your wages. I just want you to do your job, which is taking care of my kid while I'm at work. And so there is this problem with, with teacher solidarity and, um, and a, a, a huge chunk of Hungarian society. And this is also, I mean, education is in within this Orban regime. Education is really, really not important uh, in terms of as a social subsystem. It's it's less important than anything else. And and really the the only function of education right now is to is to kind of look over the children while the parents are working until they become 16 after 16 they don't have to work uh, don't have to study anymore because the compulsory uh, the compulsory age for uh, compulsory school age was uh, lowered from 18 to 16 and then when they are 16 they can go to the factory and then the problem is solved so this is basically the the fides uh, worldview in uh, hmm. this kind of work-based society this is we are living in a work-based society right and that's a a good place for us to end it because we are approaching time so uh um before you go uh where can our listeners uh find you and your work Uh, we can put links in the description don't worry so (laughs) but yeah well i'm i'm not really active in you know social media i tweet sometimes Hmm. Uh, but kind of uh, every two months or so, uh, one tweet. Uh, I don't write anymore, so I'm just editing. I'm, I'm just uh, an editor at this partisan video channel. Uh, I'm kind of in the background, and uh, so yeah, yeah. I can't say anything in this respect. Fair enough. I gave up writing a long. Uh, one year ago and i don't write anymore <laughs> fair enough well if you uh, uh speak or understand hungarian then you should check out the youtube channel uh partisan and yeah. uh, appreciate the fine editing work that is done on it <laughs> <laughs> um i don't think we have any announcements um at the moment so with that i think we will see you on the bonus feed on friday ciao ciao peace bye bye Bye.